Hi, everybody. This is PsychOp Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to everything winter maintenance. I'm Rick Nelson, Ashto's PSYCOP coordinator, and we're brought to you by the State Departments of Transportation, whose voluntary contributions make this PSYCOP program possible. A few months back, I caught up with Dr. Wilf Nixon at the National Winter Maintenance Peer Exchange in Pittsburgh, and we sat down to discuss a project that he and I worked on to identify the top 10 things an agency should do to have a world-class winter maintenance operation. In episode four, we talked about how we got to the top 10, and in this episode, we'll cover the top 10 and why they're important to your winter maintenance program. So here's part two of the top 10 things you should do to have a world-class winter maintenance program. This episode, we're talking to Wolf Nixon. Used to be a professor at the University of Iowa, and now uh, a vice president for science and technology at the Salt Institute. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I think anybody that's spent any time at all in the winter maintenance community has uh, stumbled across you at least one time or another. I would expect so. Yes, and I hope it's been a good experience for them. But uh, <laughs> you can't always guarantee that. <laughs> Here right. is the top ten. Uh, number one on the list is adequate funding for operations and sustainability. Um, this was, you know, it's really pretty simple. If you don't have the money to do the work, you can't get the work done. Now, interestingly enough, in most agencies, whether it's at the state or the city or the county level, they I've not heard of an agency shutting down their winter operations because they didn't have money in the budget. Money is found somewhere. But that's not a sustainable model. That's, oh my goodness, we'll search in the couch cushions to find the odd quarter. Well, you know, we did, Ashto did the survey three years ago, and and that came out uh, in a resounding way. Winter always wins. And it, it wins at the expense of other things. You might not have the ability to do your summer maintenance program because winter consumed it all. So Right. And and also if you don't know what you have for winter, you cannot plan well. Just thinking in terms of equipment purchases. Ideally an agency should have in place a process whereby you retire part of your fleet every year and buy replacements for it. Well that requires a a sustainable stream of funding so you can make decisions for the long term rather than just bouncing from pillar to post well there's no money this year um, and and again the the when you start taking money out of the program other programs you know it could be your painting program well that means your lines are less visible which means you've reduced safety because you didn't think through the implications of your funding. There has to be a way to do that. And and it comes down to, it really impacts everything. One of the unifying themes, two of them, I guess you could call it, is efficiency and effectiveness. And you can't be efficient if you don't know how much money you have available to right. you. It's, it's just a fundamental thing. It's it's probably one of the more political issues on the top ten list because money and politics go hand in hand. 
that doesn't mean it's not a real issue. Right. It is. Number two on the list is using sustainable winter maintenance practices. Um, this, you know, sustainability, it's this balance of economics, the environment, and the public need. And all too often, people forget about the first and the last of those and just say it's the environment. And it's not. It's about creating a balance. People need to be able to move in the wintertime. Goods and services need to occur, so you have to have roads. Uh, people expect to be safe in the wintertime, so you've got to maintain those roads to a certain standard. And you then have to balance that against sustainability. Are we minimizing the impact on the environment that we do within the context of the budget we have, the economic impacts of roads close, which is substantial, and the safety concerns, which if you don't do winter maintenance, you're going to see a lot more deaths on the road. And it's it's really pretty simple. And in these days when there are more and more agencies driving toward uh, zero deaths, um, yeah, I think we need to focus on that safety issue in the wintertime. Part of the challenge here is sustainability typically in, in the whole field of public works, whether at the state or the city or the county level, is project-based. So it, it comes through as being something that is all about building new stuff and building new stuff in a sustainable way. But if you think about it, you build a road and that might take one year, and then you've got to operate it for the next 30 years. Right. The real issue where sustainability comes in should be in the operations. Now, yes, your construction is important in that, because if you don't design it properly, and if you don't plan it properly, you won't be able to operate it sustainably. But what it means is, and I think we've done a good job of this in winter maintenance, um, we've managed to define to some degree, what we believe is sustainability and have some detailed checklists available for people. They can go through and say, this makes sense for us, you know, uh, this should work and, and so on and so forth. So um, I've just had a moment of clarity and I realized what I've been doing, I think, is going through just in the order that they're listed in this table rather than the uh, actual vote order, but I'm not sure I can find the uh, Well, you know what? Order. That's okay, because I have my <laughs> list written down here, and, and you're doing it like I got it. So okay. All right. So we're good. For me, right? We're good. Yes. So, so with that, number three on the top ten right. is... Accurate and timely weather forecasts. It's, it's interesting. We all like to dump on the weather forecasts. And, um, you know, with, with good reason. <laughs> you know, as, as one of them said just the other day, he said, I chose this profession because where else can you be absolutely dead wrong 300 times a year and keep your job? <laughs> and, um, well, but, but, in, but in the forecaster's defense, I think they've come a long way. Yes. And, yeah. and um, they're, they do do a pretty darn good job of forecasting um, but there's a big difference between atmospheric forecasts and road weather forecasts yes and and I think that's where 
um, we're really sort of driving at with with respect to this one, uh, just because it happens to be you know snowing or or it's it's cold and raining doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to manifest itself on the road. And if you right. don't really understand what's going to happen on the road, if you're a, a maintenance manager and you're trying to maintain mobility in the wintertime, you don't know exactly what you need to do. Right. And and so, uh, you know, I think that's that's where it's it really becomes critical is so what what happens between where the thermometer is mounted on the tower uh, right. to the ground. Yes. And and yes, as you say, to be fair to the weather forecaster, without taking away the right to diss them at all times, is the fact that we are we are asking for information that has not been part of what their mandate has been and is much harder to get to and to model and to forecast accurately. It's what we need. Uh, It's one of the more interesting things in the whole forecast box, if you will, is the best weather forecast for an agency will occur when operational folk in the agency are interacting on a daily basis with the weather forecasters and having some sort of conference asking how confident are you in today's forecast? Because sometimes they're going to have a high level of confidence. Yep, it's absolutely doing this. Mm-hmm. Other times it's going to be, uh, I'm not, you know, it could do this and we think it will, but it could also do that. Well, knowing which sort of situation you're in is very important and they don't write that down in the forecast. That's yep. not part of what comes if you will, in the standard package. But again, part of what does come in the standard package is the ability to call them up and say, what do you think? And we hear constantly from uh, the forecast providers that probably only about 10% of their customers make use of that on a regular basis, and that's a big shame. It also allows the forecasters to improve their modeling, and very important. And you just have to look at some of the situations where weird things happen, uh, which is often at the beginning and the end of the winter season. Um, you remember the polar vortex we had in the Midwest a few years ago? Right. Everyone was going on, and we did have some really cold temperatures for a long time. So pavement temperatures were very low, but the atmospheric temperatures had warmed up. And had a situation with a, a friend and colleague um, North of Chicago, rain was coming in. And there was no way it was falling as snow or sleet or anything like that. It was going to be rain. But he knew he had a problem because his pavement temperatures were 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So when that rain hit the pavement, it was going to freeze. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter what temperature it came in at. It was going to freeze. The air temperature was probably about 45 during that storm, if not as high as 50. And he had ice on all his roads. And, you know, it's a nightmare situation. If he had not known his pavement temperature, he would have been completely surprised by that event. And so rolled into this is having the right tools and equipment to tell you about your weather situation, you know, whether it's an RWS or truck-mounted thermometer or, or some other wonderful gadget that is going to come out tomorrow. Um, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right, so moving along, number four Number is four is optimal route planning. 
this is simply making sure you put your trucks in the right place at the right time and you focus them on what's really important. Many agencies classify the roads they have to take care of into different levels of priority. It might be, you know, this is priority one through priority six, and, and you may even have different service goals on those. Well, it doesn't make sense to have the same effort applied to your priority one roads as to your priority six roads. So a key part of optimal route planning is making sure you concentrate your resources where they need to be concentrated. Now, it, it gets more complicated because tied up in this is going to be things like your optimal application rate. If your route planning is, is premised on being able to travel a certain distance before you need to refill your truck, that's making an assumption that you always put down the same quantity of material. But if it's warmer, you need less material. If it's colder, you need more. So those have to be folded into it. Getting even more futuristic, if you're in a situation where you're dealing with roads uh, with substantial traffic on them, there are going to be some that can become impassable in a big hurry. You do not want your trucks on those roads when everybody's stuck in the traffic. Yeah, your trucks are stuck. Yeah, your trucks are stuck with them. So this isn't just, oh, before the season, let's figure out what the route should be. This is what you might call real-time traffic management for your plow trucks as well yeah. and real-time resource deployment. So it's it's actually it's technically very, very challenging, um, but I think it's very clearly the way we're going. We, we need... Certain routes are, are critical within the system. Yes, the whole system is important, but certain routes are critical, so you've got to focus on those. Then you have people doing dumb things during snowstorms and crashing and blocking the roads, so you've got to deal with that. Then you've got the reality of each storm being a little bit different. You've got to deal with that. All of that comes into optimal route planning. And it wasn't a factor in what we identified, but getting enough workers is challenging. Well, if you have temporary workers, having a system that gives them turn-by-turn -turn instructions, you know, turn right onto Madison Street, mm -hmm. that really helps, you know, especially if it's three in the morning and they can't read the road sign. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So speaking of equipment, yeah. number five is... Equipment, equipment. <laughs> and equipment calibration and getting the right equipment to put product on the road. It's a huge part of the issue and making sure that that equipment is actually doing what it says it's doing, which is calibration, is another pretty big part of the issue. And going around doing training, we've, we've found a distressing number of agencies don't calibrate their equipment on a regular basis. And when we're talking about calibration, we're talking about the material deployment. Pretty much the material deployment, yeah. yes. How many pounds a lane mile come out when you've got it on setting two? How many gallons per lane mile come out when you've got your pumps on setting three? Just knowing that stuff so that you can adjust your application rates to what they should be rather than what you hope they are. Uh, it's a key thing and... and and again, you know, and, and it's a boring phrase, but it's, it's true, I think, that 
if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Manage it. It's uh, you can't know that you're being effective and efficient unless you actually you've got a ruler out there to figure out what you've actually done. And so, carrying on with the equipment theme, number six is an equipment maintenance program, both preventative and routine. And you know, one of my experiences in in doing research was if I really wanted to break a piece of equipment put it on a snowplow it's really it's a very rigorous environment you're out there all sorts of things are being thrown at you you're on a truck that shakes and bakes and and you've chlorides going around all over the place and just making sure things work making sure things last long enough the last thing you want to have to do is for example change a cutting edge during a storm because then your truck is in the shop doing nothing useful for you other than having someone cussing and swearing while cold water and oil and god knows what else drips down their neck as they try and torch the bolts off on this cutting edge and so it may also include choosing your equipment so it lasts longer um, there is Equipment we use in winter maintenance that wears out. The cutting edge is one of them. There's a a whole life cycle analysis waiting to be done there um, on what is the benefit of having a cutting edge that lasts three years rather than three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, like you say, if if a truck's in the shop, it's not being productive. And of course, when you really need them is in a crisis kind of situation. Right. And so that's why that, I think that preventative program is so important uh, because the reliability of those units, you know, it needs to stay high so they can stay out on the road. Yeah. And, And it ties us back as well to that whole having sustainable funding because, if you're running your trucks for 16 years when you planned on running them for 12, you know those last four years you're going to be seeing a lot more time in the shop and a lot less time on the road, and that's not where you want to be. Right. Number seven is efficiency in operations dash intelligent use of resources. <laughs> this is really a, a, a catch-all. I mean, it's, it's pretty much everything. Everything you do, you would like to do in a way that is as efficient as possible because you've a finite number of resources, whether those resources are trucks or materials or personnel or diesel or liquid natural gas and, you know, whatever it might be that you are using as a resource, you want to squeeze every ounce out of it that you can. And it means things like not having trucks in the shop during a storm. It means things like um, making sure that when you send out a truck with solid and liquids on it, it doesn't run out of one before Before it runs out of the other. And, 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 you know, there's always this debate about efficiency versus effectiveness, right? Right. One is doing the right thing and the other is doing it well, right? Yes. And these sort of go kind of hand in hand. You know, you can be uh, efficient, but you must also be effective. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, efficient. Hey, we didn't use any diesel or salt this time. Effective. Well, the roads were a bit of a mess. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. Number eight is sort of changing themes. Right. 
And and this is um, communications and between your ops controllers and your your drivers. You can't treat your snowplow as a fire and forget missile, where you say, get out, do your route for six hours, and we'll see you later. Or let me rephrase that. Yes, you can, but it's not exactly optimal. Uh, The storm changes. There's never a a situation where the storm is constant all the way through. Uh, Often you get banded snow. So heavy snow, lighter snow, heavy snow, lighter snow. Sometimes, and this gets really interesting, there can be a a line of sleet in there uh, as it comes through. That makes life real fun. And if you have good communications between somebody back in the office who can track all that incoming data and the folks out in the field who are doing the plowing and the applying of chemicals, then um, you have a responsive team instead of a reactive team. You, you're moving on the proactive side of things. So if, for example, you have a crash on a, on a route that closes it, you have the means then to get people off that route around in front of the crash so that you can then uh, keep that road open even though there's no traffic flowing on it and you allow the emergency vehicles to get in there and you allow the situation to be cleared which isn't always the case in severe weather. It's not always possible to do. The net end point of that is you avoid people being stranded. It's, you, know, you might even need to divert a truck off a route to go and escort a, a fire engine to a fire. You know, um, things never happen singly. Right. And, and, you know... Uh, the dominoes always fall yes. when it's the worst possible time. Yeah, Murphy rules. Yes, <laughs> and, yes, and, and so you, you need the ability to react to Murphy. Um. Well, and, you know, when we're, you know, we, the, the, the whole ma- idea of maintenance decision support, you know, didn't really manifest itself in this list, but... Um, you know, as you're making decisions, and everybody gets to make decisions, the, yeah. even the plow driver is making a decision to be someplace and to right. have his plow up or down or deploying material or not. Um, this this whole idea of decision support really comes into play. And then, as you say, uh, you know, when it comes to, to moving resources and, and just having the situational awareness of what's happening in the field, I think, is is really key and important. Yeah. That's that situational awareness. I think is very much one of the things that defines the difference between a good winter maintenance program and a great winter maintenance program. Right. Number nine on the list is snow plans, and this includes operational evaluation and continuous improvement. It's the notion that an agency should have a plan for how it's going to do its winter maintenance. And that... It It seems obvious, right? It does. It really does. It seems, well, of course you've got a plan. Yeah, but do you really? Do you have something or is it just, hey, we've always done it? This is the way way we do it because this is the way we've always done it. Right. And and that's where this key element of this continuous improvement thing uh, comes into play. You you shouldn't wait uh, for the the, uh, major train wreck... Right. To adjust your plan when, right. you know, if, if you stop and you think about it, 
you know, after every storm or at the end of the season and, and you make minor adjustments, then you right. don't have the, the catastrophic uh, issue. Yes, and, and I think also if you are always making minor adjustments, you reduce the fa- fear factor associated with change. Change is one of the most difficult things for either an individual or an agency to do. Uh, we all like to stay in our comfort zone, individually or, or collectively, and change threatens that. Well, if it's big change or a whole series of big changes, we're going to feel very threatened. But if change is part of the process, because it's small changes every day, every storm, every event, uh, you know, then it, it becomes much less threatening, I think, for an agency. Yep. And, and then you, you cultivate an openness to new ideas. I think some of the most useful things that, uh, again, really good programs do is have some sort of system where you're encouraging everyone in the organization to think about new ways of doing things. And if they come up with an idea, you encourage them to try it. You will need some coaching to help them try it in a way that doesn't um, create havoc and (laughs) disorder. But, um, you know, if you can do that, then it's it's very powerful. It really helps, I think, for agencies um, to do that. And where that begins is with a plan. And it's... It, it pulls in a lot of other things. Uh, terms like accountability come to mind. You know, if, if we say we're going to put down 200 pounds a lane mile during this storm, then that's actually meaningless unless you have a way of determining whether people put down 200 pounds a lane mile yep. during the storm. And if they didn't, why didn't they? And if they had a good reason... It just wasn't doing it. it. It seemed to be my temperatures were colder, and I felt, you know, once I saw the pavement temperature drop below 25, I really thought I needed to up the application rate. Okay, what did you go up to? Well, if it's 250, that's okay. If it's 500, that's probably not. You know. Well, and, and you know, that's the big thing with plans, you know, and I and, and I hate to bring it up, but, you know, the, the lawyers always seem to get involved, and... You know, when when some unfortunate event happens and a lawyer comes knocking on your door and yep. says, why did you do this? Yeah. And if you can hold up the plan and say, you know, this was the plan, it was what was accept, uh, accepted, it was what was acceptable, and it's what I did, you know, it, it gives you, you know, well... well more to fall back on than well that's why we you know we've done it yeah. this way because that's the way we've always done it yes and it's there's there's both a challenge and an opportunity there uh, the opportunity is learning from you know what is different in all of this and you know well we did it differently this time than we thought we were going to did we have good reasons and it can help you with you know, there might be Fred who has put down 500 pounds a lane mile all his life and it's damned if he's going to change now. Um, well, you can at least identify that and see that you yeah. may have a, a, uh, a training opportunity there. Let's yeah. call it that. And, and this, this uh, segues into number 10. 
Yes, I was actually, uh, as I look at them, I was going to combine 10 and 11 because they did, in fact, tie. It was a tie, so, so are, let's do 10 and 11. They are standards in winter service and defined levels of service, so they are actually very close. And, and what this is really getting at is, you know, it's, it's, again, that old saying, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up somewhere else. Your levels of service, your standards are the target that you're aiming at. And um, the standards define, I think, the activities you can use to get there. So a standard may be we're never going to use more than this much. Uh, A level of service is we're going to return to bare pavement within so many hours after the end of a storm. And those standards and, and levels of service they can be defining points for an agency. And it's, it's interesting. It's not to say that it's easy to implement them, but if you have them in place, then you at least have something to measure against. Um, so you might have a standard application chart. You know, if you're on a two-hour uh, cycle time and the pavement temperature is this much and you've got this sort of storm going on, you should apply 175 pounds a lane mile. That's your standard. Your level of service is making sure you get the road clear within three hours after the end of the storm. So they are analogous. One gets you to the other. The question then becomes, do my standards allow me to meet my levels of service? And they should. That's Otherwise, you have a problem. Yep. It also comes back to uh, what we were just talking about, accountability. If the number's 175, then you should use 175 unless you have a good reason not to. And then you, you can start getting into the, you know, the details. Well, I didn't think it was doing a good enough job. Well, Mike over here used it, and it did. So what was different about your roads? Well, you know, it might be I'm at a higher elevation than Mike. So my roads are uh, colder, and I'm seeing more preset. All right, that's a very valid reason. It, so maybe we need to adjust your standards yes, for this or, situation, right? Or we, we should say, actually, you were then on the wrong pavement temperature scale, and you should have gone to the one that was colder, which would have allowed you to use 200. To or, do the right yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. And, and so they should, be, they should continuously evolve. And that's difficult when the lawyers come in, because they do. Yep. <laughs> um, but it, it also, it, and this is one of the things that's interesting. We actually put a much greater burden on our operators than uh, they do in Europe, for example. The operator in Europe is pretty much, it can be anyone as long as they can drive the truck, you know, and... In some situations, they've gone so far as to fully automate everything the truck does except driving itself. So, um, oh, and handling the plow. Um, the amount of material put out the back is all preset. They don't need to worry about mm-hmm. it. Well, we make our operators It's worry one of the about things that. that they have to deal with. Yes, right? it's part of their job. It's a responsibility uh, and I think it's it's one of those areas going forward. Um, I was hearing over lunch, uh, yeah, people are having difficulty recruiting truck operators. And, uh, you know, as we were discussing, perhaps uh, we need to stop 
talking about them being plough drivers, and we need to start using terms such as environmental stewards um, with a plough. <laughs> with a plough that just happened to be <laughs> yes, yeah. to be able to drive a truck. Yeah. yeah. Um, now that's that may not fly because you might expect to get paid a little more as an environmental steward with a plough than you do as a plough driver. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it, it's we. We put a lot on their shoulders, and the way I'm seeing it, we're not taking very much off at the moment. Now, there is a concern with cognitive overload. There's a lot going on in that truck. Um, When it's 3 in the morning and you've been driving for 10 hours with only... In bad bad weather. In bad weather with dumb traffic, you know, road users around you... um, all those other things, and you can hardly see the road, and your coffee has run out, and your bladder hasn't, and you know, it's, it's difficult. Um, so you, you've, you know, we we need to be thinking that I think gets rolled into a number of these things, um, right. and and it doesn't matter how wonderful your plow is without a plow operator, it's just a hunk of metal. Yep. Or some other material. Or some other material. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the top eleven. Yes. And uh, so the question becomes, what are we? What are we going to do next? Right. And um, I can I can tell you that uh, through Psychop Talks Winter Ops, yeah, uh, we plan to do a series of episodes that will take uh, a bit of a deeper dive into each of these areas and uh, explore them. Uh, at much greater detail than we've done uh, just this time. Excellent. The uh, this uh, report that we prepared that yeah. that goes through this very scientific and rigorous <laughs> process uh, that we use to to generate these top uh, eleven uh, will be posted on the Psychop Talks Winter Ops website, Brilliant. along with uh, some other information. Yeah. So uh, with that, I think. Uh, We'll we'll call an end to the top eleven. Yes, and uh, our David Letterman style report, and uh, sign off for uh, this episode. Uh, again, go to psychoptalkswinterops.com, and uh, to you, uh, Wilf. Thanks for sitting in and sharing. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. And uh, you 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 won't be a stranger. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So with that. Uh, that's Psychop Talks Winter Ops.